But no, so yeah, I mean, I think really the, probably the biggest connection between the two of them is, is the sincerity of what you're getting. I uh, probably even even more so possibly with Johnny Cash with with Bruce because I I think Bruce is more of a performer than jo- Johnny Cash was. Yeah, you know, with, with Johnny Cash, I think, and this is one of the many you know, sort of quandaries about him it, is how he appealed across so many different avenues and genres, but. You, when, particularly when you're hearing him sing, and you, when you he, when you saw what you saw was what you got. There was no artifice kind of with him. everyone and welcome to a new episode of set lesson bruce your podcast all about bruce springsteen his music and mostly his fans i am your host jesse jackson this is the official pod first podcast i'm recording in 2020 <clears throat> i had three or four in the can and those have appeared but this is officially the first one and i am honored that i have returned guest good friend Stephen Rutledge joining me. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Hi, Jesse. I'm good, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me back. Good. Uh, so, wow, uh, since we've talked, you've uh, you've hung out with Terry. Uh, you've done a Music Talks episode. Uh, you've just become like a podcast star in your own way. Well, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't quite go, go that far, Terry, but uh, certainly, um, yeah, thanks, thank, thanks to uh, you. Uh, I met Terry uh, in real life. We, we connected after I'd heard him on your uh, on your yeah. show, and I just dropped him a line and, and um, with some feedback, and then it's like, oh, okay, whereabouts are you? Oh, we're not that far away, and so we've yeah been to a few gigs together, met up for a few beers, and uh, yeah, I've done a, done a couple of podcasts with him as well now. So uh, we just um, yeah, just did our year review uh, that just went out on uh, in the end of last week. Or yeah, yeah, I yeah. I really like that, and I love the idea that you know we we have this online community, but how cool is it to actually bring it into quote unquote real life? You know, where you get a chance to not just talk over microphones, but to meet, share a few drinks, you know, maybe some food, and and talk in person is just that makes me smile so much. I know it's it's, it's great, isn't it? It's, it's so much negativity about what goes on online that you hear constantly, isn't there? About uh, yes, you know, and all this sort of thing. And if both through your podcast and also through uh, like Jim and Patrick, the Rock in the Suburbs, you know, mm-hmm. I've met a lot of guys online. You have some great interactions. Just you, know, you don't always have to agree about everything. You can you can have positive interactions and not. <laughs> And, and and still disagree. You know that's perfectly possible. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be kind of screaming and shouting and tantrums, does it? It can be like, well, okay, well, that's fair enough. But I, I don't agree, and, and and vice versa. You know, so uh, I think um, yeah, it, the more all the more positivity that we have uh, online, the better, in my opinion. Yeah, and I I I really like the idea of in a lot of ways we have. We have developed this small little music community, though it's not that small, of, you know, uh, music talks, 
Rock in the Suburbs, Set Lusting Brews. You know, we're all kind of, we share a lot of the same listeners and the same contributors. And it's just really nice when I see that. I, I smile when I see you are being mentioned and that when Terry is having you on the show. And so um, I, I kind of, it almost feels like, you know, it does feel like you have a friend or a neighbor going, oh, yeah, that guy. I'm so glad he's doing this. Yeah, no, it's I mean, like I say, it's um, it's all. Yeah, if I hadn't, if I hadn't, um, well, I think actually, if I hadn't heard you on Rock in the Suburbs and then listened to your podcast, so I wouldn't have. If you hadn't been on Rock in the Suburbs, I wouldn't have come across your podcast probably. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't then listened mm-hmm. to your podcast, I wouldn't have uh, met Terry. And yeah, so yeah, it's all it's all, well, that's it's quite all nice, connected. <laughs> Just like the Marvel Universe movies, all the our we're this is our version of the music. So, um, so let's um, let's just catch up. How have, how have things been going for you? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty 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 busy, but um, yeah, it's been a good 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 year of music and um, and um, yeah, no, it's it, Christmas and all that is always busy time of year with travel. Sure. I don't know what it's like for for, for you guys, but. Um, None of our our family are nearby, so uh, although I guess compared to what you guys are used to over there, near there's near and there's near. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it uh, and so that kind of um, yeah, it tends to make it a bit busier. But uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's all all, uh, all all is well. Of, uh, looking forward to uh, what what the new year brings. Yeah. And, uh, and where that takes us all. So. Yeah, we were. This was a little quieter year than normal. Um, Linda, right before Thanksgiving, was out hiking, and she ended up um, slipping and breaking her ankle in two places. Ooh, so yeah, so she had to have surgery, and then, <laughs> um, and it was just really, um, she had to stay off her. Um, foot you know she had a boot and she had a cast and then she just not and so just yesterday as we're recording this the doctor released her to she no longer has to use a walker she doesn't have to stay in the boot all the time um you know when she walks he recommends that she stay in the boot but she's now mobile and it's weird because for the past six weeks you know, when I'm home, like every hour I'm going into the bedroom going, do you need anything? Do you need anything? <laughs> and last night I was doing that and, and we both started laughing. She goes, you know, I can get up and get my own water now. I'm like, yeah. I know, I forgot it. <laughs> so uh, so we ended up staying pretty quiet and not traveling a lot for the holidays. Uh-huh. Um, so in addition to catching up, we wanted to kind of get off the Bruce train and get on um, – Maybe the uh, Folsom Prison uh, train and talk a little Johnny Cash today, right? Uh, yeah, we could. Yes, absolutely, if that's okay. I mean, because um, I know when I was on originally, I, I sort of just in the briefest, uh, briefest of passing when you asked me what I did for a living, I mentioned Wichita Lineman and Johnny Cash's version of it, and we had to sort of quickly apply the handbrake so we didn't end up going off yes. down a big, a big tangent there um so i thought uh, we could maybe revisit a, a little bit of that particularly as um you, know, you covered the um the country music documentary series you were talking about that uh, the 
Ken Burns yeah. um, series, and there's been a few other sort of um, Johnny Cash. He's got a few other mentions in recent episodes as well. Sure. So uh, um, I thought, oh, well, that, that could be good to go yeah. off, off off topic a little bit on that. We, we probably... Absolutely, and I do think there is um, there is definitely a connection between Bruce and Johnny. Um, I, I know that um, Johnny has covered many of Bruce's songs, um, mostly Nebraska, but not totally, and then uh, Nebraska songs. And then also, um, you know, Bruce sang in a tribute for Johnny after he had passed. So um, I believe there was a mutual respect and love there for each other, and so I, there's definitely the connection. And I'll say, yeah, I, mean, I think really the, probably the biggest connection between the two of them is, is the sincerity of what you're getting. Uh, probably even even more so possibly with Johnny Cash with with Bruce because I I think Bruce is more of a performer than jo- Johnny Cash was. You know, with, with Johnny Cash, I think, and this is one of the many you know, sort of quandaries about him it, is how he appealed across so many different avenues and genres. But you know, when, particularly when you're hearing him sing and when you when you saw what you saw was what you got. There was no artifice kind of with him, and that came across, I think, through his music. In that this is this is real, and 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 from within him rather than a performer. And there's plenty of other great artists who are great performers, and there are a persona which is presented as as their artistic version of themselves, and then there's probably the version of them that's when they're putting the kettle on and around the house whereas I often think that whilst Johnny Cash does have this persona of the man in black yeah he he had this he had this real core integrity to him that despite his you know many self-acknowledged flaws (laughs) you know you could you couldn't help but respect and I think that sort of stood him instead over over time you know yeah I totally agree uh you know um a phrase often quoted and we're going to get into Ken Burns's documentary in a little bit, but several people mentioned this that um, a um, a guy named Harlan Howard um, said country music was three chords and the truth, Indeed, and yes. and and I believe that's that's really really um, as close to a perfect definition of country music as possible, and. You know, Bruce himself, uh, especially in the Broadway, talked about that this has all been a magic trick, that this is, you know, he made it all up. And and I don't think that's totally true. I think a lot of the the emotion and the, the feelings behind his songs um, are truth, and I think that's why they mean so much. But they are not necessarily always autobiographical. Yes, uh, I think. Yeah. And and I think versus it feels like Johnny Cash, um, or um, Loretta Lynn, or you know Dolly yes. Parton, or these take, things. Take your pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, even though I, I think one of the best lines uh, statements is they talked about uh, Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton. And they said that they seem to be writing about each other's lives. 
Oh, no, I think that, that was Tammy Wynette, actually. Yeah, Tammy Wynette, that's Tammy, right, yes, yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah, yes. They, 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 they sang about the opposite of what they did. Yes, exactly, so that was right. Yeah, thank you for correcting that. Um, what did you think of Ken Burns' documentary? Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I, I, um, I've, I haven't finished all of it yet. I'm halfway through episode seven, so I've got an episode and a half to go. Um, at, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I was a bit concerned initially we might not be able to get it over here, but it's been on the BBC, so I'm just mm-hmm. catching up with it on the uh, on the iPlayer. And I mean, yeah, learned 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 a lot. I mean, starters that really that Atlanta was really the home of country music was a <laughs> to, yeah right going right right back to yeah from that first episode and learning where it all started off. But I think the biggest thing I learned from it was that, um, and this may be obvious to anyone in the states, but it's not to <laughs> this this British guy, is that the Grand Ole Opry isn't a place. It was a radio show that the Ryman Auditorium is the place and the Opry was the show that took place there. Uh, I'd always thought that the Grand Ole Opry was a building, you know, and because <laughs> no, the way it's referred to, and I guess the kind of the two are slightly interchangeable to some degree, but of course, going, finding out that it all came out of this, basically trying to sell insurance was quite interesting. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I, I kind of, in the back of my mind, knew that it was at the Ryman Auditorium, but I thought of the Grand Ole Opry as a place as well. And I thought it was fascinating that this was all about insurance. <laughs> that, you know, that this was, and, and hearing the the stories about the agents, you know, yeah, wa- driving or yeah, walking through, was... going, okay, we can hear them. These are who we should go talk to. And, um, it, and the idea that back then those AM stations would be such a powerful tower and would reach so far away um, yeah. is is amazing um, discussion. Um, yeah, it was just it was just the fact that it sort of came together at the right place at the right time, I guess, yeah. in order to it to, if it had had the timings been with the technology and stuff slightly been off, that ship might have sailed and it never might have might have got at that point. But um, yeah. Yeah, the fact that it was just to initially to sell insurance, and then yeah, it makes you wonder when people complain about it over commercialization. Maybe we need to stop ourselves and pause for a moment sometimes. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, you go, oh yeah, it's not like it used to be. What when it was just to sell insurance? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And the other thing, Stephen, that I was fascinating to me is there is an understanding, like. Um, Bruce has said everything came from Elvis, you know, um, and so you could look at, you know, Buddy Holly and um, uh, Chuck Berry and, and, you know, but their rock and roll has so many roots. But country, you start looking at it, um, the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers is, you know, recorded in that small town. Yes. Uh, over the same weekend, kind of, the same time period. And you could, if you were doing a family tree, almost everything leads to that. Yeah, it's all sprouted out from that point. It's not, yes, it's not pulled all these other strands into this one place. It's, yeah. It yeah. Was, and it was. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, I was just, I was just, I was just agreeing with you, really. That was yeah. all my. Hang on, sorry. Because, and, and yes, there's other influences. They talk about, like, the banjo coming from um you know a, a like a different 
cultures and, and the different music and all those things. But it is just an amazing, and I think that's one of the things that um, the documentary shows is how A led to B, led to C, led to D. Um, I don't know if you're going to get a chance, um, but um, my PBS station over the holidays did a two-hour making of country music. And it was kind of a documentary about the documentary. Right, Uh, But it was fascinating because they showed, you know, one of the things they talked about, and I don't know if you've heard any interviews with Ken Burns, but he had said that, they they had recorded a lot of historians, but they found very quickly that the musicians themselves were the historians, that yeah. they told the story even better than the guys who were historians, and so they could use that. Yeah, and, well, go, go especially ahead. Cause, yeah, because, I mean, musicians are you know, performers, they're storytellers for a living, you know. So, yeah. It's, yeah, they, they, should be, they should be good at telling the stories, you know, and uh, and relaying that and how, and how much of that comes down through the songs and through that have been handed down that they've learned. And then they, they, they mix with other performers who say, oh, yeah, but what about the time that, did you hear about the time that this and that and whatever? And it kind of that oral history that builds up around the songs and, and those that perform them, you know. Yeah, and the idea, the other thing he talked about is that they – urged all the musicians to bring their guitars or their instruments. And they said that that got some of the best material because they would start telling a story and they just would take the guitar up and start singing. And so you would hear, you know, Hank Williams' uh, granddaughter, who's never met him, you know, sing one of his songs. Or Charlie Pride sing a song of someone else. You know, that just all of a sudden there's this amazing love of the history so i I know this sounds like a commercial for the um, documentary but it really is i think if you love music period even if you go oh i can't stand country music i think this is a journey that you will appreciate so much oh yeah no i'll have to uh, yeah i don't think that's been shown over here yeah officially yet but there's there's ways this means yeah exactly and the whole documentary (laughs) i just think is a great idea yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm guessing that Ken Burns is quite a revered kind of presenter or something over in the yes. states. Obviously, I'd never heard of him until I came until people started started yeah. talking about this Ken Burns country music documentary, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's yeah, just, so, yeah, yeah, he is. He's done um, jazz. He's done the Vietnam War. The Civil War was the very first, I think, that brought him to fame. He did uh-huh. a documentary. And then one of my favorites is he did a history of baseball that was amazing, um, talking about how baseball was actually the story of race in America. And um, and a lot of his stories are about, you know, race, because race is such a um, vital part of, of this country. Uh, with with our history of slavery and and being a nation of all these immigrants, it just uh, he yes he is somebody who's a very respected um, you know documentary and, and filmmaker and so it was really neat. Yeah, no, I think um, yeah, I think well, you're right. I think 
and we, we may touch on this a bit more if we get to Blinded by the Light as well at some point. But the uh, yeah, I think the the, the, the issues with race are, are very different in what, sort of your country and mine. You know, we've both had different kinds of issues related to that, but it's yeah, I think it's a far more yeah. Um, I wanted. Uh, that's actually, issue, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's let's uh, let's talk about that. I first off, I love Blinded by the Light. I I um I I thought the movie was amazing. I thought it captured the joy of listening to Bruce. I also think it shows the tendency of a new fan to be overly almost um <laughs> yeah you know, zeal of the convert. Yes, yeah. zeal. Perfectly said. Absolutely. But I had no context of the um, the Muslim and the um, that kind of you know someone from Pakistan or someone that kind of race relationship. So let's share with that a little bit for you know someone who like me grew up you know, in the South and just, I've never lived outside of the U S except for like a year in Germany when my dad was stationed there. Yeah. Well, I, again, I really enjoyed the film as well. Um, it remind it, it's, it, when it's not supposed to be a, a gritty documentary, even though it's got these dark sort of darker elements to it, you know, it's, it's a celebration of, of the music hung around this story. I, I would, it's probably the best way to, to think of it, isn't it? But the, um, I, I had quite a lot of, connection to it not through bruce because i didn't get into bruce until much later but i'm only a year younger than suffrage Mansour, so basically that period when he was at school i was at school in england <laughs> exactly the same time so it was like a, a massive trip down memory lane um seeing sort of the cars the fashions <laughs> all these kind of things um and but uh, yeah so Going to the uh, sort of speaking sort of specifically to the to the the issue of, of the the race and, and sort of the uh, the clashes between the yeah, the skinheads and and um, it was I've, I'm not sure, I can't speak to how ac- accurate that was entirely whether that was slightly exaggerated for the for the sort of dramatic effect because I know when I was growing up there was yeah there were skinheads and you would occasionally see some sort of kind of graffiti over the place but it wasn't well, I guess where I grew up as well, um, there wasn't a big non-white community. I, I grew up um, in a relatively small town in, in Norfolk, so there wasn't, although I'm from London and I've got families from London, so if we went back to visit them, you would see the full sort of range of different types of people that you get in London, i.e. any yeah. type you want, you know. <laughs> um, and whereas where we lived, it was unusual to see someone who wasn't white. But of course, in Luton is is was is you know, well known for having a very large sort of Southeast Asian community, uh, you know, Indian, Pakistan, or Bangladeshi community, as are some other towns in the UK, like Leicester and Bradford, for example. They're renowned for having that that kind that that, that a large proportion of that um, community. Um, you know, to the point that some places like Leicester is famous for curry because there's that many people from that part of the world there that there's just a, a preponderance of of, of um, food from that region so it 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 felt like maybe it was more played up perhaps than than i remember but i also have to remember i wasn't living in that situation so it it could easily be that it was exactly like that (laughs) yeah Uh, and and i I don't doubt for one minute that him growing up did experience 
discrimination on a on a sort of local basis because yeah that that happens all over the world you know i've got no doubt that he was you know picked on for that i mean that, that, I i'll be staggered if he hadn't been you know <laughs> not that i'm saying it's a good thing but no no i yeah, understand but exactly I would, what you're yeah, saying if it hadn't it would have been like wow you you, you must be very fortunate <laughs> you know, yeah um you know one yeah. of the things that surprises me and and let's i want to put it out there we're just two music nerds talking. We certainly are not speaking with any authority or, you know, we're just chatting, two mates chatting, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But um, when I started watching Doctor Who, and of course, hey, we know that's a true representation of the UK. Uh, but <laughs> when I started watching Doctor Who and then other BBC uh, material, especially in the modern era i'm amazed at the freedom and i guess freedom is the wrong word but the how quickly and easily they show what we would call mixed race relationships in the u.s like for the longest time there was no way you would see a um uh, you know and i'm just gonna a white or a black couple mm -hmm. you know that just you wouldn't see that um, and it seemed fairly normal in a lot of the BBC shows. And I always thought that was really interesting. And, you know, and I just kind of naively thought, wow, the UK doesn't have the kind of race issues that the US has, which was probably naive of me. Um, yeah, but, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I think, yeah, I, th I mean, I don't think it's, it's a whole, it's a different kind of thing. In, I guess, yeah. and again, I'm a white guy, so I can only speak exactly. from what yes, I see I'm, from the outside. Yes. Um, but I think certainly what you're saying about yeah, on on TV it's perfectly normal. That, that, yeah, that's not that's not a big deal, and no one would think no one bat an eyelid about that. But then again, I've always found what American TV finds censorious <laughs> compared to what we find censorious yes. to be. Uh, if you, you know, you, you, you can't show any kind of uh, anything a little bit risque, but but guns are good, you know. Yes. <laughs> whereas, whereas, you know, it's the other way around here. You, you sometimes you might be shocked what you might, what you might see on European TV, but you won't see the sort of the the, you know, the, the, the guns and that sort of thing yeah. is much more of a, an, an issue. But um, so no, I th I th yeah, and I guess I mean I think certainly back. In the post-war, uh, you know, post-Second World War period, and in you know, what they call the Windrush generation, when we had the big wave of uh, of immigration from the West Indies uh, and from um, subcontinent into into UK, then uh, it was much more pronounced. You know, you would, I, I've never seen this, but I would heard that this, you know, there's, there's pictures and sort of documentary evidence of it, of the sort of no dogs, no blacks, no Irish signs up in boarding houses and. Places mm -hmm. like that, you know, it is, so it did, it did go on, and certainly in the eighties, when blinded by the light, certainly yeah, there were race right issues in places you like Toxteth and, and and Brixton and the like. So, and I think the the it's definitely true um, that if you're non-white and you're in a, in a city, you're more likely to get stopped by the police than if you are white. You know, yeah, absolutely, and. Um, and so this is it's, it's probably there, but it's not anything like as big a deal, I don't think, as it is for you guys, you know. Yeah, and one of the things that 
um, I'm always quick to bring up is that um, I think it's very arrogant for someone who is like myself, a, a middle-aged white guy, to not acknowledge that my my experience in life has been very different than someone of um, of color, of a you know of a you know an alternate lifestyle, someone who is you know, a lesbian or gay or transsexual, you know, I, I don't, I don't have that, uh, perceptive, you know, because I, I don't have that. And it's, it's very, they speak to what you know. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. And so I, I have at least enough knowledge to acknowledge enough awareness to acknowledge I can be sympathetic, but that doesn't mean I understand which is a good segue to Johnny Cash, who mm -hmm. I think spent a lot of his career, especially after getting success, trying to speak for those who do not have a voice. Indeed. Very, yeah, very, very, very well, not multiple instances of, of that with Johnny Cash, isn't there? Yeah. There's no, uh, you don't have to scratch too deep to find that. <laughs> no. So talk to me, um, how did you first find became aware of Johnny and his music? Um, well, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I grew up in the 20th century, so I was aware of Johnny Cash, but mm -hmm. I wasn't, other than the fact that he was a big name in country music, certainly country music didn't play any real part in my um, listening growing up, or indeed my teenage years. I, it was a thing, and it was very much the seen as, I guess, of being the, the sort of the corny, you know, the the country, you know, the big hats and the and the the tassels and the suits and all that sort of stuff and the cowboy boots and and they've been a bit cheesy and not and not very cool, you know. Um, so it wasn't really. Uh, there's a couple of things that got me into into the sort of country music, and that's kind of then and and that opened up the, the horizons for me. Probably started off first off with a band called the Jayhawks. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're a Minneapolis band um, who are in what you would call the Americana genre mm -hmm. uh, or country, that sort of thing. Um, but they're kind of there's as much as a, a rock, they're more they're more of a rock band, but they've got country and other you know, and folk and these other influences in them. From them, somehow that got me onto Graham Parsons, and he was kind of like. Uh, this, I had uh, too many. I read too many interviews or things mentioning Graham Parsons, and that was that. I thought I have to find out about this guy, and then when I found his music, that was then the key that unlocked, as probably pretty much he intended, more or less, <laughs> um, was the key to unlocking country music for me. Um, and so from there, I then started, and at pretty much the same time as I was doing that was when I came across his. I think it was the third of the. American Recordings albums had just come out. The one uh, it's got, uh, um, or the, the one I had, the song I heard initially was the, his cover of U2's One. Yes. Um, and so I thought, well, that sounds amazing. So it, I bought that album. It really does, away. doesn't it? I mean, um, you know, I, I think, and Ken Burns talks a little bit about that. Um, he, he weaves in almost, no spoilers, but the episode you were 
trying to finish seeing, they spend a lot of time kind of putting a a kind of an ending point about um, his resurgent in this Americana, you know, the mm-hmm. American recordings. Um, but yes, when you um, when you hear his cover of "Don't Back Down." Or, you know, uh, one and um, and Highway Patrolman, uh, which I will argue is I would almost pick it over Bruce's version um, with that Johnny Cash voice and that, you know, his um, just it sounds that it was two brothers and it you could just see that. So, yeah, Um yeah, no, it was. It, yeah, it kind of started the. It started the exploration for me really from, from there. And I mean, I agree with you. There are many versions of the songs that he did uh, in the American. You know, I've got the all six of the albums plus the Unearthed box set as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's many versions in there that I think top the originals. Not all of them, and and there's plenty unessential ones in there as well. I would I I, I would say as well. But there's, some of them are just. I mean, everyone heard the sort of the hurt from yes. American Four um, because of, you know, because of the timings and and, and everything with both uh, you know June and, and him him dying, uh, and the yeah, but they're they're just amazing, some amazing, amazing recordings in there. And yeah, when you look at the supporting cast that he's got around him on a lot of these recordings as well, it's pretty 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 good stuff, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I think it was it's it's when you think about the amazing of you know, the idea you hear the story about what they're wanting to do and they just just bring some of your favorite songs. Let's just talk. You know, let's just visit and to catch that with um you hear every every mile he's walked to be a cliche in that voice. Um, oh, yeah. and, and, you know, and there is a beauty to that that um, is pretty special. And you're, you're right that sometimes um, it, there are a couple of songs that the, the voice, you hear the pain, and it almost can be uncomfortable hearing it. At mm-hmm. least in my case, in yeah. others it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, well, I think. Well, I guess particularly, I'm guessing obviously for you, and I, you, know, you, you spoke many times about what you you grew up listening to. But you know, yeah. Johnny Cash's voice would have been an ever present through your life. Yes. Whereas he, it was only really something that I discovered you know, when I was in my sort of uh, mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I mean, you can hear it on as you worked if you listen to the albums sort of going through chronologically. Yeah, the first three and certainly the first two his voice is still very strong and yes. still and still quite full of vigor um but certainly from from four onwards i mean you can audibly hear that he's getting weaker yes uh, which but but again that adds a great deal to some of those songs <laughs> yeah, because, yes. yeah depending yeah depending on on the on, on you know on the song i mean you know, and yeah really sort of ups the sort of emotional impact. Yeah, I, I do think that. And you're right. Um, for those of you who have never listened to an episode, um, I am a um, 
my family listened to um, country music almost exclusively. Some early rock and roll, Fats Domino, um, you know, some early Jerry Lee Lewis, um, you know, Bobby Darren. But overall, my family was someone who listened to Merle Haggard and and Johnny Cash and and later Willie Nelson. And so, um, you know, watching the Johnny Cash show on Saturday nights was something, you know, we just did as a family <laughs> and, you know, and watching Hee Haw and um, doing this and um, to, and we were, I was raised in the a Southern Baptist church. So therefore um, Johnny Cash's gospel songs were very open on our lives as well. So to hear his, and I think there's people that um, will say the same thing about Sinatra, that as he grew older, the voice changed, but it was still a beautiful instrument, no matter the age and the flaws, it just became a different kind of sounding instrument. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that, that's definitely right because in the day, still, it's still Johnny Cash yeah. <laughs> singing it underneath, isn't it? You know, it, yeah, it might be not have the the power. And on a sort of, kind of side note, did you hear the album that came out a few years? Um, the out um, under um, oh, out under the stars or among the, star, the most recent, the one that was canned by Columbia that they never released. No, I have the early eighties. Uh, yeah, out among the stars, I believe it was called. It came out probably four five years ago. Okay. Um, so it was recorded when he was probably what in his early fifties. So he was still sort of yeah full of full in full health and full full power. But it was in the time when he was basically on not long before he was getting dropped from his record label, um, and yeah, it was never released. And then it's put out sort of um, I think it was about about twenty fifteen possibly twenty fourteen twenty fifteen, and. But it's from the vintage of the early 80s. So it's a fascinating to then having sort of had this set of recordings and then go back and hear him like in full flow, full strength, kind of the the, the full, no no filter, full fat Johnny Cash experience. Um, yeah. At sort of height of his powers, you know. Um, and, and you wonder, um, and I think they talk about in the documentary that his record company ended up dropping him. And it was kind of surprising that, and it's very typical in today's industries, what have you done for me lately? I need to move on. And um, versus, you know, look, what you want the world to say is Johnny Cash You've earned the right to do whatever you want to do mm -hmm. for the rest of your career. Yeah, it's, we're, it's, we're yeah. making enough money off. We're going to reissue albums, and we're going to re, you know, uh, and and we're going to make fine. You just go make mu music, and we'll figure out a way to sell it. And if it doesn't sell, that's okay. And you feel like maybe that's what Columbia is doing with Bruce. Um, though I think Western Stars is as good as anything he's done. It's different, but it's, you know, it's still an amazing album. And I think it's 
really admiring that at 70, and I realize he mm-hmm. he recorded this earlier, but he's sending out something. He is doing something creative and trying something different. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I mean, I I didn't I, didn't, I enjoyed the album. I didn't love it quite as much as uh, as as you did, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, th- I think yeah, yeah, when you've got an artist of that stature, like, as you say, you basically you, you you can do what you want. I'm along for the ride. You know, <laughs> you've done it. You don't have to, you, nothing is required to be proved anymore. Yeah, and you know, okay, you put out. You know, I'm, I'm a massive Neil Young fan, and mm-hmm. he puts out. You know, normally at least one album of new material and an archive release every year. And some of them, certainly recently, have not been very good. But I'll still get them because I'm not going to be like, oh well, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop following Neil Young now because he's had a few dodgy, you know, patchy albums. Because look at the look at the body of work. You know, it, it's still and there's still glimmers even on a bad album. There'd be the odd song is like this. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, the, the fire hasn't gone out yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that is well said. You know, where you go, okay, this is, um, you know, the idea, and I, and I feel the same way. Um, you're right. I liked Western Stars. It sounds like more than you did. But there are other people, you know, that, that love it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and he, he, you know, he's trying to do different things. And so... Whether you like what he did, like, I am not a huge fan of the Seeger Sessions. Um, now, when I watched it live the, on Dublin, I loved it a lot more. Um, and I think there are people that, when they saw the Western Stars movie, I've had a couple people say, okay, I like it a lot more now than I've seen it live, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but that doesn't mean, you know... Not everything everyone it's okay does to not, we're going to yeah. love. It is. It, it, exactly. it's, it's okay to have favorites. And yes, not, it is. And not like some as much as others. It's not exactly, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you had mentioned before we hit record, you had done a little um, a research on... Um, well, we're not, not so much research. I've just gone through and just made a few notes on oh, well, on, 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 on the sort of un, those American albums, just to... Um, I'm picking out some... what And picking out sort of top five American sort of recording songs. But, okay. Yeah. Um, before I go, to, I just I did get I did go back to Johnny for in his catalog as well. So I went I went end up going back and getting Folsom Prison, San Quentin, and then kind of like a, a greatest hits sort of compilation that covered everything else that was missing between those the yeah. important stuff. And I have to say that I mean I prefer Folsom Prison to San Quentin live. Um, and but my wife really loves the Folsom Prison as well. Mm-hmm. She really, really yeah that's that and certainly the the. Uh, the you know, walk the line from there, and she really she really enjoys that as well. But I think it was really interesting to see that on going back to sort of touch briefly back to the the documentary when they covered the period where he did the Live at Folsom Prison album, and just quite how much it turned his career back around. You know, um, which possibly I wasn't I wasn't quite as aware of that and the stakes that he was playing. You know. <laughs> That if he crashed and burned on that one, it could have been. That's, yeah, we don't hear of Johnny Cash much more after that. You know? Yeah, um, I, you know, they talk about that in the movie Walk the Line. They they kind of show that a little bit, and um, it was, and they explain the same thing in Ken Burns that this was quite a um, 
a risk, but he just knew. Um, and yeah, I went back and bought the CD. I remember my parents owning the album, but I bought the CD and listened to it. And there, there is a lot of. It's funny because it's not a greatest hit show. You would think no, that no. he would have, you know, he did a lot of different stories and and a lot of great songs. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, it is amazing the different phases and how there is a great documentary. Um, I think it's on Netflix that talks about Nixon and Cash about how. Um, uh, President Nixon was a fan of country music, but he and he this was during um, the Vietnam War and and all the quote unquote hippies, and you know he wanted um, Johnny Cash to come to the White House and sing, and he wanted to have him sing "Oki from Muskogee," and uh, Cash is like, "That's not my song, and I'm not going to do it." <laughs> and so it makes for a really interesting documentary um, about how. Cash was singing more for the people that Nixon would have said were the undesirables. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he he definitely reached out across mm-hmm. the, the yeah. boundaries. I think, um, yeah, no, it's just yeah, I, I certainly think that the stuff that he did later with, say, the on the American recordings matches up and some in many places exceeds stuff that he did earlier in his his career as well mm-hmm. but it's all just yeah it's all it's it's all, it's all good stuff all together but mm-hmm. um yes no I, what, I th- what i think part of what i also find fascinating about him how he could uh, yeah he's a, he was a music like, like i say when i was growing up you know it was just part of country music and that's corny and i don't really you know it's not there's nothing to do with me kind of thing yeah uh particularly obviously not being american yeah if i lived if i grew up in america probably would have been a completely different story but certainly from the uk it was this very odd Sort of, yeah. Odd, you know. And yet, you got this guy who can basically appeal to people who, you know, the, the most traditional country fans will like Johnny Cash because, you know, that's by definition what they like. But you've got guys, you know, metal guys, and you know, guys like Nick Cave and all these kind of guys who are very intense musicians and who are also totally respect and sort of. Uh, revere Johnny Cash for, for for his work and and are inspired by him, and sort of all points in between. You know, it's not that he's um, yeah, he crosses the boundaries of genres into because of that sort of there's, there's a slight darkness to his life story, and you know, he was an imperfect man, which he you know we're all imperfect, but he yeah he acknowledged his imperfections and his failings. And he addressed that sort of quite directly a lot of the times in, in his in his work, and I think going back to what I probably said originally is that that sort of integrity is what sort of comes through and why people can say, well, you know, I can respect that regardless, you know, and and plus plus the physical presence of the man, you know, in his prime, he's a big he's a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know, was it the story about was it when Dylan and uh, and and him met you know, Bob Dylan met Johnny Cash the first time. Dylan just walked around him, looked him up and down, and sort of went uh-huh. <laughs> like he's a big tree or something, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, and you know, then when you think about um, one of the albums I've liked this year in 2019 was the Highway Women, directly 
because of Johnny Cash and mm-hmm. Waylon Jennings, you know, the Highwaymen, you know, and Chris Christopherson yeah. and all this. Um, you know, so he continues to influence people. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I truly think, um, and this is difficult to say, but if you're going to make a, you know, Mount Rushmore, Johnny Cash is in the discussion of who should be on, of the four people you're picking. He's mm-hmm. certainly in the discussion. He should be, um, part of that design. Yeah. Well, certainly if you're talking about country music, you cannot talk about it without talking about Johnny Cash, can you? So, I mean, absolutely. Just, yeah. It'd be laughable to, yeah, <laughs> to, to attempt to do so, you know, mm-hmm. um, but um, no, well, I think you know, just when you look at the albums as a whole, it's interesting to see how they how they change a bit. Um, yeah, and certainly the first two, and including the first three, you know, they much more life in them, you know, much more energy, I guess, to them. But um, and unche- from sort of unchained, the second one onwards, um, well, certainly unchained is basically Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are his backing band for that one. Yes, which is and, amazing. I, yeah, and then Mike Campbell and Ben Montench from the Heartbreakers pretty much play on everything else mm-hmm. right through to the sort of the final ones, along with you know, many guest appearances from from other, other other folks. But I thought it was interesting that particularly the last two albums, I, I, I probably even though Man Comes Around and again the title track is fantastic and that's maybe probably the most well known of them because of Hurt being on there. Yes. I think that's possibly the weakest of all the albums because one, it's probably too long. And I think give, understandably given his life circumstances and, 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 you know, see June dying and, and all that as well, there's probably too many of the sentimental songs that we don't, didn't, we didn't, did we really need bridge over troubled water or Danny boy or, yeah. you know, we, we probably didn't need that. You know, Johnny Cash in the phone book sounds good. But we probably didn't need those songs in there you know they wouldn't i don't think the albums would have been worse if they'd taken them out uh but yeah i you know as we talk about um i don't think his version of bridge over trouble water is exactly that well done nor Mm. danny boy uh but i do the man comes around is amazing right yeah fantastic um hurt goes without saying you know Trent Mm -hmm. Reznor has said I did not know he's you know he has said many times that there there is no one who could do this song then I heard Johnny Cash do it and I go oh my gosh you know I don't know if I should ever sing it anymore yeah yeah I wrote a Johnny Cash song without realizing it yeah (laughs) Uh and so uh, you know I love there are and I do think that um in this world of making Spotify and, you know, you or mixtapes back in the day, right? There, mm-hmm. if you take your picks from each of those songs, from those albums, um, you have oh, a hell of a long. You, yes, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a good, it's a good list. But yeah. no, I think, I think it, the contrast with the last two albums, uh, Hundred Highways and Ain't No Grave, and again, Ain't No Grave is just a, when it opens up that last album, and it's just like. Yeah, hear the, his voice singing that after you know, knowing that he's already died is is pretty yeah. powerful. But I suspect strongly that Rick Rubin chose the songs that went on those last two alone, mm-hmm. and the the lack of sentiment in those last two is is noticeable. They're yeah. they're much more emotionally powerful, I think, for that. Um, 
but we can understand again. And in the, the day, here's Johnny Cash. So who's who are we to say to him, no, Johnny, you, you're not you're not supposed to be singing that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Who, who am I to say that? But I think that the last two do benefit. I think from being a bit tighter and maybe a little bit more ruthlessly edited. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, there's so many highlights you can you can pull out uh, from 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 any of them. But I did I did try and set myself the the task count of the top five. Songs okay. from the from the American recordings um, set so, of the whole lot. So see see what you think of this this right. list. I, I did not do my homework, so um, but that's okay. Um, I uh, you can you can just mark mine then, Jesse. Okay, sounds good. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, f- five, I went for "Ain't No Grave," so the the, the total track from the final final yes. album. Absolutely. Um, then uh, I went back down from from American Three again, just because of the his age and health when he's singing it, it just totally changes the meaning of the song. Especially when he says, when you can stand me up at the gates of hell. <laughs> you know? And you know, you know that his, his health is failing. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's amazing yeah. stuff. Um, number three, I put Rusty Cage. Oh yeah, um, that's a good Unchain. one. Now, I'll, again, that is one of, one of the ones that I would say is better than, I mean, it's, I'd say it's vastly superior to Soundgarden's original. You know, and I like Soundgarden. You know, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, Chris Cornell. I have nothing. You know, uh, one one of my favourite vocalists, an amazing, amazing artist. Um, but yeah, the, the the version on Unchained just just knocks <laughs> the Soundgarden's version out of the water. You know, um, my penultimate one would be uh, Mer- the Mercy Seat again from uh, from the third album of the Nick Cave. So I'm I'm a big Nick Cave fan, and uh, I've seen Nick Cave perform that song live. Um, it's, I think it's one of the few that he performs almost every every show. Um, but again, just with with Johnny Cash singing it and how it ties, yeah, the, th- the theme of the song, how it ties into songs mm-hmm. that Johnny's done in the past, you know, and, and the stuff with the prisons and that. You could you, you could have put that song on Folsom Prison and it it would kind of fit, <laughs> you know. And it's how many decades later <laughs> sure yeah you know just thematically it would have just fitted, fitted right on there but the, the number one choice and this is probably my I, I would say is probably i think probably his best ever performance and i don't think it's even close certainly not my mind is is um spiritual from unchained mm-hmm. um and you just listen to his vocal performance on that i mean he's there's nothing left he doesn't leave anything out there it's all pulls it all out and yeah when he's you're seeing, you know, Jesus, I don't want to die alone. There is no, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's crushing when you hear it. But he just absolutely nails it and really the power in the emotion and just the, the way he's given it everything. And he's still, at that point, he still was, had the, the big fullness of his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely spectacular. So that, that that's... Yeah, that that, that that would be my top five of uh, picked out from. But you could easily make a list of number five, and you go, yeah, they're all great as well. So. No, I, I, that is a great <laughs> list. Um, you know the um, what's interesting is on that Unchained, uh, Marty Stewart played guitar in a lot of those, and um, I, I think we have to um, bring up the fact that or at least I feel like we need to, someone made the joke once, and it's true, that if you put a band together with Johnny Cash's um, son-in-laws, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you would have an all-star you'd be, band. You'd be doing all right. Yeah, you'd be doing all right, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It would certainly include ex-son-in-laws as well. Yes, yes, that's what we said. <laughs> Ex-son-in-laws and stuff, yeah. that um, It is amazing. Uh, yeah, great choice. And now then, I'm going to want to pull up some Johnny Cash and listen to it. Um, it's never a bad thing. Just... No, not a bad thing at all, whatsoever. Um, so what, you've got anything going on this year coming up and any shows already scheduled? Any yeah, trips? Got um, got a few, got a few, um, gigs booked up. Um, yeah, yeah I've got, um, I've actually got, I've got two on consecutive nights coming up, uh, at the end of this month. I'm seeing, are you familiar with Sturgill Simpson? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing him in Glasgow on the uh, 31st of this month. Um, and I really, I mean, I really liked his previous album, Sailor's Guide to Earth. And I really like the, the new one, which I appreciate is not in the, yeah, really in the country music genre, but it's mm. I, I really like it. So yeah, so I'm seeing him at the end of this uh, month, and then the following night, because in every year in Glasgow they have this kind of like city-wide music festival called Celtic Connections. Yes, uh, it's basically a, just an excuse to have a load of shows. Nothing <laughs> and, wrong and with there, that. There, there will be there'll be a vague. So you will get a lot of Scottish and Irish, hence Celtic Connections uh, bands and more traditional types of music. Um, so anything from sort of sort of folk country sort of genres will, or sort of loosely adjacent will will sort of be included in that. Um, and so the following night, um, I'm actually going mainly to see the support act. Is a guy called Ian uh, Ian Noah. Ian Noah. I'm not sure if I'm pronounced that correct. I still don't know correctly how he pronounced his surname, but it's N O E. Uh, and his his album, as I was saying to Jesse, was my number two choice for last year. Uh, his album between the country. So he's He's opening on the Saturday night at a different venue, and it's a lady called Brandy Clark. Yes. Yeah, uh, I've not heard of her. I've, I've just, I, 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 think, I believe she's done a lot of songwriting for other other people as well. So she's mm-hmm. the she's the main act, but she's not the main attraction for me. <laughs> um, but we obviously so, but we're going along to 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 to, to that. Um, I've got Nick Cave booked up as well for May. Uh, again, to see him in in Glasgow. Um, so yeah, so that's 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 it so far. But the the year is yet young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And yeah. we're hoping for new Bruce music, and yes. uh, and hopefully a tour. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, w- yeah whether it gets over here this year or is, is next year, I don't, I don't know. But I'll surely yeah. be uh, hoping to uh, to to get to that. Yes, that 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 would uh, that would be certainly that's so, one, of, one one of the gaps in my. Uh, in my resume that I need to fill in in terms of uh, <laughs> people I need to see, you know. Sure. All right. So if uh, someone wants to reach you, how can they? Um, they can get me uh, on the Twitter. I'm at Powderfinger71. Um, if you search for me, Stephen Routledge, on, on Facebook, I'm on there now as well. Um, I do have a blog, powderfingerspeaks.com, and you can get me via that as well. Um, so yeah, that's probably the best way to, but to, to get hold of us if if anyone wants to. Absolutely, and hang on while I do a little business. Uh, you can reach this show by going to setlustingbruce at gmail dot com. You can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is at setlustingbruce. You can go to our website www.setlustingbruce.com dot com, and from there you can. 
see our Patreon page, you can see our store, you can hear links to other blogs, including uh, Stevens. Uh, so um, let me know. Let me know if you want to join me and you can share your Springsteen story. We can talk about, as you just heard, Johnny Cash or one of your favorite artists. Uh, we can work this out. So please let me know. Go to the iTunes, rate and review us. That always helps. Stephen, this was a blast. This was a perfect way to start the new year. That's great. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, sir. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. All right. So listeners, take care. You have a great 2020, and we hope to see you at a show soon. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. And um, I know you're a big Doctor Who. Uh, you mentioned Doctor Who, and uh, I know you, you, I, don't, I don't. I have to confess, I don't listen to your Doctor Who stuff because I'm not a big enough fan yeah. of it to, to follow it. But um, it's it, it's um, yeah, it's, it's, I find it fascinating that you're so into it because it's a very British yes. <laughs> show. <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's not it's not it, yeah, it's, it's it's distinctively British, and um, it, it's fascinating because you can't grow up over here and not. Yeah, everyone has their own doctors. Yeah, so who was the doctor when you was a kid? That's your doctor, yeah. you know. Uh, exactly. You know, for me, it, was, it was Tom Baker and then Peter Davison. But it was when when it came back with Christopher Eccleston, that was a really really big deal. Yeah. yeah over here, it was it was yeah it was like oh to bring him back because it kind of petered out into sort of and just sort of faded away kind of. And uh, when mm -hmm. it came back, that was a it was a big big. Yeah, quite quite a big deal when it came, and the fact that it was good when it came back was even better. Yeah, yeah, just um, really really good. Um, yeah. Um, so who was your doctor? Who is your doctor? Uh, oh, so, yeah. So, so or Tom Baker, and then into Peter Davison. They they were the two main guys yeah. when I was when I was growing up. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'll always think of Tom Baker as probably the, the best doctor, just because he got the madness just right. I thought. <laughs> I, I think it, it will be hard to get uh, too many people arguing. Um, you know, Charles, who I do the podcast with, is uh, Davison was the first doctor that he, you know, mm -hmm. connected with. And so therefore it's his doctor, though yeah. he has loved all of them. Um, I feel like the Jody is getting a bad rap because um, I don't know if it's because she's just so different because she's a woman or has it just been the show has been going on so long now that it's kind of very, you know, cool to yes. criticize it. Yeah. It's not, fr it's not fresh and exciting anymore. Yeah. No. Um, though I really have liked her as the doctor. I think she's done well, but then I'm, and I think it goes back to, right. You like you're Neil Young. Um, you're going to, you're going to support and like, even if you don't yeah. enjoy as much now, oh. And there have been episodes this last season uh, that I've went, eh, that was okay. Um, but, you know, this one was kind of a send-off. The latest Skyfall was a send-up of James Bond movies, and I thought it was really well done. 
Yeah, I've, I've not, I've not, yeah, I've not seen any of the. Yeah, I think I, I stopped watching the. I did watch the reboot when it came out, and then yeah. I watched until, um, not quite the end of David Tennant's, but yeah. probably the penultimate sure. season that he did or something like that. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's good that it's back, but it's just, yeah. I find, it's, it's, to me, it's just amazing yeah. that it is. Yes. An American guy could be so you know, yes, exactly. have that appeal around the world because it is yeah. it's very. It is a <laughs> very, very British. British thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.